right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 6, verse 40. Today we're looking at what is a disciple. What is a disciple? Luke chapter 6, verse 40. One of the things for us as a church for this year is the emphasis, the main emphasis actually for this year is the issue of discipleship. And um, I believe that this is a very important issue for us as believers if we are serious about what it means to be a Christian as we're going to be learning. Luke 6 verse 40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. In other words, whoever is discipling you and in whatever context you are being discipled, you will never excel the person who's discipling you, but if you have been really tutored, you will be just like the person who has been discipling you. The word disciple is translated from a Greek word, mathetes, which really means a student or pupil, a follower of somebody else, and specifically, it refers to a disciplined follower of a teacher or a master. It's a general word that was used in biblical days, and it refers to any of these three key things, a student, a follower of another person, and specifically somebody who is a disciplined follower, somebody who adheres to another person, a teacher, or commonly referred to a master, somebody who they saw as their master. So it refers to anybody who learns and receives instruction from another and speaks of the fact that they stick close to the person they follow. So disciples seek to imitate their teachers. In Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 27, this is what the scripture says. It says, now great multitudes went with him, talking about the Lord Jesus, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, <coughs> brothers and sisters, Yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his own cross, his cross, sorry, and come after me cannot be my disciple. If that's your Bible, underline or circle that word cannot. Cannot is a very strong word. The Lord says, he says that a lot of people were following him, and he turns around, and makes this statement. If you are following me and you do not hate father, mother, brother, sister, if you're a man, wife, if you're a woman, husband, children, and even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. That's what the Lord says. What a strong statement. What is he referring to? He's talking about the fact that the love that we have for him compared to the love that we have for these important relationships from his perspective will be hatred. Why? Because the demands of discipleship will mean that you're going to have to choose at one point who you love most. At one point in your discipleship journey, if you embark on that journey, you will have to choose who you love most, whether it's Jesus or these very important <coughs> relationships. And the Lord says, if you do not choose to love him more to the point where your love for him compared to your love for them is hatred, you cannot be his disciple. Indeed, even your own life, you hate your own life compared to your love for him, you cannot be his disciple. And then he adds, anyone who does not bear his cross and come after me 
cannot be my disciple. We'll be coming back to these themes um, later on. So from the definitions that we've talked about, it is apparent that discipleship, if we are serious about being a Christian, a follower of Jesus, then discipleship is of fundamental importance. If we claim to follow Jesus, then we have to embrace discipleship. One of the challenges in the body of Christ is you have a lot of people who go to church. A lot of people who read their Bibles and who pray and who support the church. But you don't have a lot of disciples of Jesus. You don't. That's the truth. Now, it doesn't mean they're not saved. It doesn't mean they're not going to be with the Lord when he returns. But there is a difference between being a churchgoer and a member of a church and being a disciple of Jesus Christ in the context that we're learning. Now, it's a heavy subject. It's a heavy, as you can see, you're very happy right now as you're listening, you know. It's a very challenging subject. It's a very provocative subject. But what I want us to do in this journey as we begin to learn about discipleship, I want you to start desiring discipleship. Don't switch off from it, from it, but desire it. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you an appetite to be a disciple of Jesus. And settle for nothing else but to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Say, I'm a disciple. Come and say, I am a disciple. So even as I share these truths about discipleship, you may see a big gap between your journey, your experience, and what it means to be a disciple. Don't let that put you off. Let it provoke you. Because as I study it, I think, hmm, Joe, I wonder, are you, what level of discipleship really are you, you know, if, if, if we were measuring, you know, because to take up your cross, in fact, one point he says, in another version, he says, take up your cross daily. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. If you don't do that, you cannot be my disciple. Say, I am a disciple. So you make these declarations by faith. And uh, one day, you will look at your life and realize you are actually a disciple of Jesus. Now, beloved, the challenge we have is you can be a disciple of a person in church, but not a disciple of Jesus. You can be a disciple of a church like Christian Life Fellowship, but not be a disciple of Jesus. You can be a disciple of a very famous minister who mentors you, who, who teaches you, but you're not actually a disciple of Jesus. And that's the challenge. The challenge is, we're talking about what is a disciple of Jesus Christ, of Nazareth, so that we're clear who we're referring to. Not Jesus Navas of Man City. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus Christ of Nazareth, as revealed in the Holy Scriptures. Every born-again believer is called to be a disciple of Jesus but most believers are either unaware of this requirement or are ignorant of its implications. You see, because for me, I don't know, I think, and I think it's the same for you. When we stand before the Lord on the last day, we're really not interested in hearing anything other than, well done, good and faithful servant. Who, who, who wants to hear something else? You want to hear, you did good. Well done. Good and faithful servant, isn't it? Isn't it? Yes. And uh, on that day, you will be glad you were exposed to the teachings that seem heavy. Oh, no. No, no, no. Don't, don't switch off. Say to your neighbor, don't switch off. No, really. You'll be glad you were exposed to teachings that dealt with your flesh and caused you not to be comfortable with being a churchgoer. I like going to church. You know, I do. I think coming to services is great. I'm not one of these, uh, oh, it's church again. I actually like going to church. I've been going to church for most of my life. Yeah, because I'm 48, 49 this year. And um, 
I was uh, 16. So it's most of my life when I started going to church. That was, I mean, before I was born again, I went to church here and there, but I didn't like it at all. Then after I got saved, I went to church. I still didn't like it. But um, I like going to church. But honestly, you can go to church all you want, and you will never be a disciple of Jesus. You'll be a good church goer. You can take up membership in CLF, and we really encourage you to, and never be a disciple of Jesus. Every born-again believer is called to be a disciple of Jesus. The concept of discipleship in the first century that the Lord Jesus and his followers adhere to is probably non-existent in the Western world today. That kind of context, that kind of cultural context. The closest we have today may be what we call mentoring or apprenticeships, but they, are, they don't come anywhere near it because in, in biblical times, or certainly in the, in the first century context of discipleship, whoever was discipling you you were in close proximity with them. You either lived with them or lived close to them. You met them almost every day. You followed them. You served them. You were at their beck and call. They gave you instructions. They disciplined you. They corrected you. And you took it because you were keen to receive everything that that discipleship context represented. And it had a period... But after it, you would have learned and become like your master. And obviously, if you learn from other places, you sometimes can even excel um, because you learn from others what the person who discipled you um, was given to you. So it was something that took time. It took a huge chunk of your life. It wasn't like what we have today, a discipleship class where you go to for 11, 12 weeks and then they say you get a new convert certificate and you think, yeah, I've done well. It's a good start, but it's nothing like that. <laughs> uh, the goal of those who were being discipled was that they wanted to be like their master or teacher. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 says this. Paul says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. And in this, you see this point. That is, every believer needs a context where they can learn from somebody what Christ is like. The idea that you, it's just you and God. You know, that's for me, it's just me and God. And I don't take instructions from men. I take it from God. It's a ludicrous concept as far as the New Testament is concerned because just like a baby needs people and somebody and an environment to be fed and to grow because in its initial stages, it's completely helpless and at the mercy of others. Even so, when we come into the faith, into the kingdom of God, we are literally at the mercy of others and forces that shape us either to be disciples of Jesus or disciples of something else. And so when Paul said to the Corinthian church, imitate me as I imitate Christ, he speaks to us of a truth. It's this. We seek to imitate the Christ in those that influence us. We seek to imitate the Christ in those that influence us. Because there will be people God will bring our way that will point us and demonstrate to us what it is like to be like Christ in some way or another. And so it's up to us whether we're willing to learn it. And beloved, let me say this. I am I'm totally convinced that every born-again believer, God will create a context for us whereby there will be people in our lives who will point us to Christ? Whether we choose to accept that or not is a different issue. But there will be people, and on the last day, the Lord will point back to those people and say, this guy, this woman, this man, this were the ones I sent to help you to become like me. But you didn't listen. And so here are your lashes for that. Say to your neighbor, God forbid. <laughs> 
All right. If we are interested in embracing the kind of discipleship that Jesus expects from us, we must above all things be willing not only to be hearers of his words, but be doers of his word also. James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. One of the key expectations for any disciple of Jesus is to do what he says, is to be a doer of what he says. Beloved, you can have an environment where you're hearing the very words of Jesus, where you're experiencing the presence of the Spirit like we have been doing, where you are enjoying the fellowship of the saints, and you will still not be a disciple if you choose not to be a doer of what you're hearing. You won't be a disciple. You see, remember the Lord said this. He said in Luke, some I can't remember quite. He said, when the master rises up and shuts the door, then you will begin to say, Lord, Lord, open to us. And you will say, depart from me. I don't know you where you're from. Then you will say, you taught in our streets and we drank in your presence. And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you where you're from. The point there is, the Lord taught in their streets. They drank in his presence and still he didn't know where they were coming from. How is that? Because they had the right environment, but they refused to be hearers of his word. Beloved, I want to encourage you. One of the ways in which you can be a hearer of the word is like as I'm talking to you now, the spirit of God will burn certain things in your heart. Say to him as you're listening, yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I received that, Lord. I'm sorry about that. Forgive me. I repent. As you're hearing it, don't wait till after the service or some article. Me, I don't do that. As I'm sitting there, someone's preaching, and they're talking, and it hits me. I say, yes, Lord, thank you for that. I'm sorry I did that. I'm not doing it again. Because what happens is, as you hear the word and you respond like that directly, the word changes you. Honestly, the emphasis of the spirit at that point in your heart, as you respond to him, it literally changes you. You see, because honestly, if you look at what I'm sharing, it may seem impossible, because actually it is. But when you respond to the word of God as the spirit of God speaks to you through whatever vessel, that word is what changes you to become what you're hearing as you believe it. It's the same way we got saved. Romans 10, 8 to um, 10. What does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. The greatest miracle takes place when a person hearing chooses to believe it and by believing it, they are transformed. It's the same process throughout every aspect of God's kingdom expanding in your heart. As you hear the word and you, you don't reject it, oh gosh, this is just too heavy. But if it is the word, you believe it, you receive it, you say yes to it, it is that word that then changes you to become what the word is declaring. Say, I am a disciple. Say, I am a disciple. So the first requirement from the Lord is that we have to be hearers of his word. His most basic expectation from all those who call him Lord. Luke 6, 46, he says, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, 
and do not do the things which I say. Why do you do that? So in other words, if you're going to call him Lord, then you have to be willing to do what he says. It is a fundamental requirement for all who want to begin the journey of discipleship. All right. Now, I want to talk to you briefly about the difference between conversion and discipleship. Conversion takes place. You can skip the notes to this point. Conversion takes place when we hear the gospel and believe what we hear. This results in us being born again by the power of the Holy Spirit and our sins are forgiven. This occurs immediately and is instant. It is a gift that God gives to us. Once we hear the word, we believe that word. What takes place is repentance. There's a change of direction where we begin to go towards God. Acts chapter 3 verse 19 says, Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Acts 16, 30 to 31, talking about the Philippian jailer, says, And when he brought them out and said, And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And I quoted Romans 10, 8 to 10 earlier on. So these scriptures demonstrate to us the immediacy of conversion. Discipleship, on the other hand, is different. Whilst conversion is immediate, discipleship is a process. It's a process rather than an event. It requires time and circumstances for it to develop and manifest. It may begin, the journey to, of discipleship may begin immediately. It may even begin when we are converted. It may begin by, by us being aware that I want to be a disciple. Or it may even begin by us not even necessarily saying, I want to be a disciple. Just the leaning of our heart is towards doing whatever the Lord requires. It's towards following the Lord Jesus. Because our heart leans this way, the process of discipleship is kicked in. However, it takes time for it to begin to be evident that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean you're not saved. It doesn't mean you're not born again. But this is the point that I want you to see. That is, it, it begins and it is a choice. Discipleship is a choice that we make. You can choose to be self-willed and I think, I'm not quite sure of this um, theologically, but I think the mercy of God may still work and somehow you will still make it. I think if you put your faith in Jesus, you know, I'm not sure actually. Sure, you can self-willed and make it. But I think you could. If you're self-willed and then you say, oh, Lord, I've, I, I received Jesus, and then pfft, you die, I think you'll make it. But the process of discipleship is a journey of dethroning self in your heart and putting Jesus as Lord over your heart. It's a journey. It's, it's a painful journey. It's a difficult journey. It's a journey that many people don't like because it involves a lot of death. Now, you find even in, in, the, in the Bible, in the New Testament church, you find believers who were demonstrating that they were very immature. They weren't really revealing themselves to be disciples. Example is the Galatian church. Galatians 4.19, Paul says, My little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. He's laboring in birth again because they've gone off track from a journey of faith in Christ to legalism whereby they think they're justified by the things that they do and uh, rather than 
being justified by faith in Christ, and they were observing Jewish rituals in order to feel accepted by God, and they'd lost the plot. Discipleship is a journey whereby you know that you're saved by grace and you're committed to following your Lord and Master and doing, that is Jesus Christ, not your pastor, and doing whatever he requires of you in a given context. Say whatever he requires of you in a given context. Say it to your neighbor. Come on. Say it to them. Whatever he requires of you in a given context. It's very difficult at times in certain contexts to recognize, actually, this is the Lord's requirement. So what the Lord does is he gives you a conscience and he gives you his word to help you to recognize this is the Lord's requirement. That's what he requires. That's what he requires of you. Never mind somebody else. That's what he's asking of you now to respond to. And if you do it, you will feel like a fool at times. You feel like a real lemon, as we used to say in the 80s. You feel like an idiot for doing, listen to me, what the Lord Jesus requires of you many times. That's what's involved in carrying your cross daily. So when you're carrying your cross, the cross represents rejection, represents shame, represents pain for identifying with Christ. This is not a very nice sales pitch to get more people into the church, is it? I mean, you don't, I don't see any adverts that says, come to our church, we'll show you how to experience shame, pain, disgrace, because you're in the kingdom of God. Normally, we give you a very nice, glossy image. In this church, when you come, your life will be different. Everyone will turn around, you have a lot of money, you have a big house, you get promotion, you get breakthrough, blah, blah, blah. Just like the world. That's why we have the problems we have, because people come to church with an expectation. Come on, what are you going to give me this time? Come on, what are you going to give me? I'm here now, come on. I, I'm, I'm ready to be blessed. <laughs> Whereas actually, the purpose of the gathering of the saints is to equip God's people for works of service and also to give them an opportunity to worship him, to honor him. Also, to give them an opportunity to bless one another and encourage one another and and share with each other. It's not about you coming so that you get your needs met. It really isn't. I know it's not, a very, it's not a very popular thing. I'm not saying we shouldn't help people. Of course we should help people. But that shouldn't be our expectation if we are disciples. If we are converts and church goers, yes. If you, are, if you want to be a church goer, then go to church and expect to be blessed. If you want to be a disciple, then be committed to following Jesus. I want to be a disciple. It's not easy, but I want to be a disciple. Say to your neighbor, I want to be a disciple. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 3, 4, Paul says to the Corinthian church, for when one says, I am of Paul, another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? This, again, was a very powerful church in our estimation. Um, it was very powerful. <clears throat> but they were very immature. They had the gifts of the Spirit evident. They had a lot of ministries evident, but they were very immature. The level of Christ-likeness on a corporate level was very weak, even though they were very powerful. In today's um, 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 context of church world, we would see the Corinthian church as a strong apostolic church. But Paul says, you're just all babies. Okay, so, another thing about discipleship is this. We are rewarded for discipleship. We are rewarded on the basis of the level of discipleship that was evident in our lives and through our works. You see, when you got saved, salvation is a free gift. You're saved, you go to heaven, you're not rewarded for being saved. It's a gift. But the reward you get in the age to come, even the rewards of the kingdom that you get in this age, And in the age to come, 
depends on the level of discipleship that was evident and is evident through your life. Here's what I'm trying to say. If you want to see the reality of the kingdom of God expressed through your life, I'm talking the kingdom of God, not religion. I'm talking about the reality of the life of God, the kingdom of God expressed through your life. If you want to see that reality or be rewarded with that reality, that's the right phrase, be rewarded with it on a consistent level where you can flow as you will. So you can find out the mind of God, you can minister to people, you can work with the spirit, you can operate the kingdom in such a way that you are advancing it by choice. That thing. Then is dependent on the level of discipleship that you were committed to over a period of time. Yeah. And, and, and the reward you get both in this age and in the age to come depends on how much you were willing to commit to discipleship. Ephesians 2, 8 tells us, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Next verse, not of works, lest any man should boast. That is salvation. However, look at Mark chapter 10, verses 28 to 31. Mark 10, 38 to, 28 to 31. It says, Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Surely I say to you, there is no one, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children, notice it's not wives, and lands, with persecutions. You can lose your wife, but you can't get a new one. That's and same husbands, by the way. He's very interesting, the Lord. He's very deliberate. With persecutions. With persecutions. You have it with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. <coughs> the last first. Now, let me just qualify something. When he says you inherit eternal life, He's not simply referring to salvation because it's very difficult for us to understand the concept of eternal life. John 17, I think it's 3, says, This is life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Eternal life is not simply living forever because everybody lives forever, either in heaven, no, sorry, either with God, because heaven is temporary, either with God or without God in the lake. So everybody lives forever. That's not what eternal life is. Eternal life is living the life of relationship with God where you are consistently always growing, always increasing, always abounding. You see, the saints that died a thousand years ago cannot be recognized after one year. The glory that was shown in them after one year with God is far superior. In fact, the, the saints who are the least in heaven, heaven, you know, heaven, the temporary place. Heaven is a temporary place, by the way. You know, I know we all think we're going to die, and then we're going to be in heaven forever. No, be in heaven for a season. You're going to be on earth forever if you are one of the, if you, if you are in the kingdom of God. You'll be on earth forever. You can go and study it. It's true, you know. You die, you go to heaven for a while because you can't be on the earth. So you've been in heaven for a while in your, without a body. And then on the resurrection, you're sent back. You have a new body which can relate to this physical earth, the same body Jesus has, and then you're on this earth forever. Somebody said, ah, that doesn't sound like heaven. That sounds a bit, this earth, yeah, this earth. Anyway, that's another thing. So, we are rewarded for being 
disciples. That's the point. Disciples. And sometimes I really wonder what my reward looks like. Because I have to be honest with you, I'm not really impressed with the level of discipleship I have seen in the last 32 years. Um, but I don't care about that in one sense. I just want to be a disciple now. Say to your neighbor, I want to be a disciple now. Now. Yeah. I mean, who cares about the past? You can't do nothing about the past. You can cry all you like. You can't do anything about it. But you can do something about now. So now I choose to be a disciple. Say, now I choose to be a disciple. Yeah. And you are rewarded for the things you did as a disciple. So the Lord says, even if you give somebody a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, you shall by no means not receive your reward. Even a cup of cold water. So imagine these sound guys, what you're going to get for lugging all this time, the worship team, the ushers, uh, those who, who, who do the, these things. and come, Those people who come here before 10 o'clock, can you stand? Stand. I, I felt to do this. Stand. Can you stand? You come here before 10 o'clock to do something. You see, I'm not saying the rest of you, this doesn't apply to you, but these are the heroes of our church. These people are the heroes. Come on, give them a hand. These are the heroes. Consistently, they get here. God bless your life. You can take your seat. They get here consistently. I've been watching them before 10. Some come after 10, and they work, and they just work, and they work, and they work, and they work. I tell you, my brothers and sisters, if you are doing it because you're trying to be like Christ, your reward is awesome. How many of you got here before 11 o'clock? Wave your hands. Let me see. Wave. Before 11. You got here before 11. Before 11. Why are you looking at me? I'm asking. Wave your hand. I'm not going to tell you off. Just wave your hand. Okay, fine. You see, if you got here before 11 because you're trying to be like Jesus, there is no way you won't get your reward. Little things as well as big things matter in the eyes of God when you are committed to being a disciple. That's why for me, there are certain things we shouldn't take lightly. We shouldn't take them lightly. They may look ordinary and mundane, but we shouldn't take it lightly. When I see someone like Andrew serving me, it humbles me, or Sydney, all these guys who's my equal, serving me. It humbles me. It's like, Lord, because they are demonstrating a level of greatness in the kingdom that they will by no means not receive a reward for. You see, others may look and say, look at him. He's Joe's slave. <laughs> but it's not, it's not Joe he's serving. He's serving the Lord. I'm not the Lord. I'm not the Lord. <laughs> it's definitely not the Lord. But he's serving the Lord by serving the least of the believers, which is me. By serving someone who's least among the saints, me, he is showing himself to be great in the eyes of God. You see, why do you think I refer to myself as the least? Because here, I am seen as the most powerful, one of the senior men. So if you looked at as great on earth, you are always seen as low in heaven. Yeah, you see? So don't try and be great. Don't try and look to be recognized. Because the more you're getting glory here, the less you're getting up there. I'm telling you, it's terrible. Matthew 25, verse 21. Talking about the parable of the talents, he says, His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You were faithful over a few things. You see, you might have few things, but be faithful with that as a disciple of Christ. You may not have much. What you may be given to do or has been trusted in you, you others may look at it and pour scorn on it. Yours is to make sure children have water. And then mine is to make sure that I stand here and get all the glory. Let me tell you something. If that is my concept, I have no reward. If, and if my concept is, oh, I thank God that I can give these children water, I have a great reward. Because I'm doing it because I'm trying to be like Christ. That's it. 
So this thing about rewards and discipleship is very important. It's very important that you understand that you are rewarded as a disciple. I'm not rewarded as a pastor. I'm not rewarded as an apostle. I'm rewarded as a disciple of Christ Jesus. There are many pastors and apostles who are not real pastors and apostles of Jesus Christ. They may have a, a nice title, a famous um, persona, but really it's a load of rubbish because it's about them. And if it's about me and if it's about you and it's not about the Lord Jesus, then beloved, it's a load of rubbish. It's not worth a bag of beans as far as God is concerned. So, as disciples of Christ committed to following him, we aim to do these four things. One, live by his claims over our life. The claim that Jesus has over our life. He's Lord. That word Lord means he's master. He's the boss. He's a boss. Secondly, as disciples, we're committed to learning from him, learning from the Lord Jesus, learning from him daily, learning from him, willing to find out, well, what does the scriptures teach? What does God's word say? <clears throat> what is God's expectation? What is the, the Lord Jesus' expectation from me? Three, we're committed to developing an intimacy with him. Because you cannot be a disciple of Jesus if you don't know him. I tell you, if you're committed to discipleship, it solves a lot of arguments. It really does. I tell you, it solves a lot of arguments in marriages. Yeah, you can say amen. amen. It does. I tell you. Because sometimes you want to say something back and you realize, nah. Just be a fool and shut up. And you have, to, you have to swallow your pride when you feel like slapping, not your wife or your husband, slapping the wall. Ow. You just keep it shut, you know? Because you are committed to developing intimacy with the Lord. And I tell you, when you are walking with the Lord, he will challenge you. He will challenge you. He will point out your faults. This Jesus that people have who doesn't tell them when they're doing wrong. I don't know who he is. The Lord Jesus I serve, he tells me, Joe, why would you do that? The Lord will tell me, you know what? My son, he doesn't say you know what. This is my language. He'll point out to me, you're becoming money-minded these days. I said, ah, me? Yeah, you. Let me show you. And then you showed me my heart. Cling. See it there? You like money. <coughs> yeah, I suppose you're right. How did that get there? Simple. Because you stopped trusting me. You started trusting yourself. You, you show me. Opens in my heart and show me. Cling. See it there? You're full of yourself again. You're going back to that arrogant thing. Oh. Go and say sorry to that person. It's like, oh man. Go and say sorry again. Yeah. Go and say sorry and look like a fool just for me. See, that's the Jesus I'm walking with. Intimacy with him, it, it can be very unpleasant. You keep gossiping. You keep telling stories about people. Go and confess your sin. Go and tell the people that, you know what, I have been a real gossip. I've been telling lies. And so half truths about you. I'm ashamed. I've been behaving shamefully. You see how happy you are about this message? I tell you, you're really happy. When you're walking with intimacy with the Lord, he would challenge you. Oh. You say, say to the Lord, Lord, show me. You know that psalm? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Why don't you pray? You'd be surprised. Search me, O God. You know, there's that song. I don't know, Andrea, um, Jake. Search me, O God. She's singing, and then mean it. You'll be surprised what he will shine. Okay, here's, here's what I'm going to show you now. Here's, he says, search me, oh God. Five minutes left, and I'm done. 
Search, search me, O oh God. So here's what I'm going to show you. See this? This is called pride. See this? This is called uncleanness. Imagine. You decide to sit down and watch television. Lord, I just want to watch something to relax my mind. Clean something comes on. So, oh, you see, I didn't even know it was on. I didn't even know. I didn't even know it was on, you know. And you're still watching it. And no, Lord, forgive me, you know I'm only weak. No, you're a pervert. You need to repent. <laughs> That's perversion. Don't, don't say it's my weakness. Say it's unclean. Call it what it is. Lord, I like uncleanness. Oh, that sounds awful. Lord, I need your help. I'm being pervy. Tell him the truth. It will help you to be free from all that porn and clean things. Yeah. Because let me tell you, we can cast all the spirits out. If you don't want to stop, after we cast it out, even the spirit itself will just sit there and say, just wait for him. He's just going to go back. Don't, don't need to encourage him. Just wait. But when you're committed to discipleship, the Lord will challenge you, and one day you wake up and the appetite is gone. Yeah, it will, you will wake up one day and the appetite is gone. I don't know how it works, but if you give it time and you keep saying, Lord, this thing in my life is wrong. I don't want it. Help me. No, don't lie. I, I like it. It's wrong. I like it. But help me not to like it. Start from the truth. Don't be lying. I don't like it. If you didn't like it, you won't be doing it. Don't lie. Say to your neighbor, never lie to yourself. Come on, tell your neighbor, don't lie. Just... That's how you start. You tell the truth to the Lord and to yourself. You say, you know, Lord, you know I like it. I know I like it. You know I don't want to stop. I know I don't want to stop. But your word says I should stop. Please help me to change. Keep praying that because you're, you know you haven't changed. So just tell him. Then one day you will wake up and you change. Lastly, as disciples, we're committed to obeying his commands. And here's the thing. The Lord will never ask you to do something you can't do. And sometimes he'll ask you to do something that seems almost silly. How many of you have, have done something wrong? You've gone to someone and said, I'm sorry. Then about a few minutes later, you do the same thing again. And because you said sorry before, you think that should cover the same thing. You know, after all, I just said sorry two hours ago, so you should know I'm sorry. No, go back as a disciple and obey his commands and say, I am sorry again. And watch them reject you and say, you know what? I don't have time for this. And you feel this big. But you did it because you're obeying his commands. In conclusion, look at this scripture. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Discipleship is the difficult path. It's the narrow path. It is the path that is filled with challenges as opposed to the broad way. The broad way of indiscipline and compromise that is purported to the masses today. The broad way. You see, when we read this, we think he's talking to unbelievers versus believers. He's talking to believers. You see, even in the kingdom, there is the broad way and there is the narrow way. In the kingdom, there is the broad way. Remember, the Lord talked about the parable of the wheat and the tares. He sows the word and immediately the enemy sows next to it. And they both grow together in the kingdom. As a pastor, I see this. We start to do something wonderful. And then the enemy will send his own seed into the very thing, and they look the same. But over time, you begin to discover all kinds of things that actually was undermining the very thing you sought to do in the name of the Lord. It's part of the kingdom. It's part of the kingdom. 
Some of you have been in our church for a while, you know this. We've had people who've been very malicious in how they behave. And these are some of the people we have loved and helped. But it's part of the kingdom. After a while, you just have to laugh and say, Lord, have mercy. It's part of the kingdom. I've had, we've had so many issues. So many issues. But it's part of the kingdom. And you have it in your life. People you trust. People you depend on. Who will hurt you? Who will betray you? Who will cheat you? It's part of the kingdom. But stay on the narrow path of discipleship. Stay on that path. Don't let anything move you out of that path. Stay on that path. You have people who come and whisper to you and tell you something. And the thing they tell you sounds true. And if you're not careful, it can shipwreck your faith. Stay on the path of discipleship. If you're committed to being a disciple, it won't face you. As a, a member of a church growing up, people will come and say all kinds of things about the pastor and the church. And I'll just tell them flat. That's, I'm not interested in that rubbish. Sometimes you have to tell people, if you carry on talking, I am going to report you. You have to tell them. Because that's part of the path of discipleship. Me, I will name the name. Olu said that you did whilst Olu is standing there. Olu, come, Olu, come. Jake, come. Olu said that you said ABC. Is it true? Olu. Uh, I didn't quite say that. Yes, you did. You're my friend. And you're my friend. So I'm just telling you, he said that I was a, you don't like me. Yeah. That's the path of discipleship. So I want to encourage you. What is a disciple? A disciple is somebody who is committed to following Jesus. Somebody who is committed to learning from Jesus. Somebody who sticks close to Jesus and is willing to embrace the implications of it for the rest of their life. I want to be a disciple. I pray that's what you want to be. And if you want to be a disciple, you will be. You know, God has changed you a lot, and he's continued to change you. Don't give up. The person you were when you first came to this church, and the person you are, you've changed. Don't allow sometimes what you see, your own weaknesses and failures, to undermine what you know. You have changed. You know, there's more of God's light in you. There's more of his glory in you. I'm talking to you. I'm not talking general to the church. I'm talking to you, Sheila. You have changed. Even though you may find you have changed. You, you are committed to this path. And I've seen the world of, world of God is changing. Sometimes, you know, you're not perfect. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but you are changing. And many of you, it's like that. You are changing. As time is going on, you are changing. You will see things in your life that are still wrong, but you see things that you've let go of as you embrace the path of discipleship. Amen. <laughs>